God is great in, and everything about Him is great. And then, are you and I known for our humility? What are we known for? We've dealt, we've dealt with this, this type of a sermon many times here in the last six months to a year. What are you known for? Well, I, you know what Chris Beard's known for? Sunday night. But wouldn't it be a nice idea that you, your, your boy was known for, for some things like that? That he prayed a lot? Read his Bible? Nine and ten chapters? By the way, I don't know, anybody else tried to read nine or ten chapters recently? Hmm? Oh, come on, raise your hand real high. I'd like to see real, real hand. I see one, two. Well, you're already doing it, brother. Thank you. Praise God. One, two, new ones. Three, four, five, six. Six. That's good. Isn't that good? See, you see, see, it's not fruitless, is it? Hmm? I read more scripture today and yesterday than I probably would have had I not. Um, and and, and uh, Monday, well, let's see, Monday, Tuesday, and today. Uh, I read more than nine chapters today, or ten chapters today. And I think I did yesterday, too. So isn't that good, though? We're challenged to do more. And uh, so what a blessing. But what are we known for? Our prayer life, Brother Crab. Some of you didn't hear him but a couple times, but Brother Crab. I mean, who do you call on the phone and, and they're on their knees? He, he told me this way afterwards, not right away. He said, oh, said Brother Harvey, I'm on my knees. I'm praying for Poland. Well, the first time he said, I'm praying for Poland right now. Another time I called him, he said, I've been a, he said I'm, I'm, I'm on my knees right now. Then I said, well, let's pray on the phone. And, and he said, well, I'm already on my knees. <laughs> Man, some of these people, they about live on their knees. Good idea. Couldn't we pray more? What are we known for? What would you think about Brother Stevens? What, what's he known for? His preaching and different things, just very biblical. His kind yet pungent sermons. Pointed sermons. What are we known for? And then you ladies. What are you ladies known for? What are your girls known for? What are your boys known for? Are they the one in the family that's always fighting? If you have four, five, six, or seven, you're going to have one of those in there, aren't you? So make sure he's fighting against the devil. <laughs> Amen. Not his brother or sister. What are we known for? We ought to be known for our humility. Look at Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 with me as, as well as Nehemiah. I already asked you to look there. Nehemiah 8 and 9, and then Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9. By the way, these were memorized in our Christian school. Pastor Hammonds, I think, initiated that. One of the years gone by. Great verses of Scripture. Thus saith the Lord, this is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let, thus saith the Lord, that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Jehovah. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. 
but let, but, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. He delights in loving kindness, judgment, righteousness. And that's the main problem with so many people. They don't know the Lord. It says of Eli's sons, they knew, they were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And in Jeremiah and many of the other prophets, they knew not the Lord. Then what was it over there in, in uh, Joshua? Was it not? There arose another king. No, it was in ex- Exodus. There arose another king uh, which knew not Joseph. And Joseph's that type of Christ. Another Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Boy, we need to know Christ. We need to know Him. And then we'll be more humble. By the way, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves... Listen, we need to spend a lot of time humbling ourselves. Don't wait till the Lord humbles you. He'll do it. He'll do it every time. You humble yourself. Humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God in time, due time, He'll lift you up. Don't spend all your time exalting yourself. Spend all your time exalting Christ. Emulating Christ, exalting Christ, praising the Lord, glorying in the Lord. And we need more self-abasement. Amen? Nothingness. Humble ourselves. That'd be a good idea to teach our, our, our uh, preteens and our teenagers, don't you think? To humble themselves. They're so filled so often with, with rebellion craftiness. I think one of the worst things, I think you really ought to spank your child. I think you really ought to really work on your child when they, when they don't just do something wrong. We all do some things wrong, but when they do it craftily and try to get around mom and dad or try to blame the other, uh, the other sibling, the other child, or the, or the brother or sister, I think that's evil. They're going to grow up doing that. They ought to say, I have sinned. Don't punish, don't punish Susie. I'm the one that did it. Isn't that the way you want a child? Amen? It's terrible when there's so much. They, they, don't, they want to be thought well of, and they, they punish the other child. They'd say, oh, she did it. She didn't do it at all. Or he did it. They didn't do it at all. You were the one. They're not careful. They'll end up in prison by the way, they say all the people in prison, not all of them, of course, but so many of them, it's always the other guy's fault. It's always the police's fault. Isn't that right, brother? Most of the time? I don't know. That's what the, what do they call them, the Rock of Ages prison ministers say. By the way, I think some of those Rock of Ages prison ministers, Brother Walton, who worked as a guard there, I'm telling you, there, I think there can be danger. You need to be close to those guys. Try to win them. Have a heart for them. Try to get them saved. Try to get them out of their sin. 
But don't be too empathetic with them. Don't be too sympathetic with them. I'm serious. One of our Rock of Ages prison ministries, you know what he told me? He said he thought that about a third of them were in there unjustly. Maybe that's true. I'll talk with Brother John later. But a third? I thought, whoa! third or almost a half. He, he was thought it was unbelievable. Maybe it's so. I'm not around them all the time. But I know one thing. Some of them, I'm sure, are the Thompson boys. Others, but man, got to be careful. Look what he says there in Second Chronicles 7.14. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, hear and forgive and heal their land. That's what will happen. By the way, in that same chapter there, Second Chronicles 7, 3 says, And after the fire came and the glory of God was there, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground, verse 3 of chapter 7, upon the pavement. Oh, that we get our face on the pavement. Get ourselves down in a prostate position. And praise the Lord. They praised the Lord. They worshipped and praised the Lord. Self-abasement. May God help us to do that. Going over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, I just, I just love this, this first chapter. I think it's so informative and so so properly placed in the beginning of the first epistle to the Corinthians. Chapter 1 tells us there, verse 24, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling brethren... Saved ones, brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters. How that not many, it didn't say not any, it said not many wise men are called. Wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen. God chooses. God chooses more poor people than wealthy people. To preach his Bible. God chooses more people that are not noble and don't know about culture since we mentioned earlier. Etiquette. He will call more that don't know about etiquette than those that do know about etiquette. Because they don't know anything about nobility and how to eat properly and what have you. Not many mighty God will call a few like Naaman the leper, a few like David, the son of Jesse. For every one of David, he'll call a thousand other nobodies to do his business. And it's God who chooses them. So don't question the choice of God. think of the university I graduated from and 
So many of the fellows that were the big cheeses and the big spokesmen on the campus didn't amount to much anything. But the little old plug-along guys, the ones that just had a hard time maybe getting their English and, and everything else, they're doing a great job in the, in the mission field everywhere else. It's almost... It almost seems like there's more that come out of the Bible Institute that came out, than came out of the university that are doing great things for God. You don't need a degree. All you need is the call of God. And just do what you can with what God has given you. And do the best you can to, to further your education in the scriptures and the call that God's given you. It was so bad when I was there that they would finish up their four years and get their degree and then they'd go back in the Bible Institute to get the practical things. They had to forbid it. <laughs> Those fellows who were wanting to preach the word they knew in the Bible Institute, we didn't just take, we took 18, 20, 21, 22. You had to have all of those. You had to take all of it to graduate. I mean, you had to have child evangelism. How to use flannel graph. That's good for young guys that don't know beans about anything. Don't hardly know the Bible. Mrs. Washer, missionary there from Dallas Washer's wife, teaching us about missions. And she'd been over in Africa. I think she could teach on missions, don't you think? All their kids ended up over there in Togo, West Africa. Man, she'd make it live. Ah, and her husband, Dallas Washer, they've gone on to their reward, but their children are keeping at it over there in Africa. Wow. Practical English where you, you, write, you write a composition on, on Scripture verses. Man, in the university, I was in the university a semester. I was having to memorize words I couldn't even pronounce. I, I got to see. I got to see. Don't feel too badly. And God says, go back in the Bible Institute. And I said, yes, sir. Reporting for duty. You say, well, didn't you want the degree? I, well, I was planning on that. And they had the opening exercises and Dr. Bob Jones Jr. came there and gave the invitation and I went down there. I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I was already signed up for the next semester. In the university and went in the back room and there and prayed with some man and he said, well, what's, what did you come for? I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he talked to me. I don't even know who the fellow was. I, could, I don't know. I know Jr. was preaching. This was the opening t time at the university. And I settled it right then. God wanted me back in the Bible Institute, even though I'd gotten the proper grade to go on. Man, I had a family. Listen, education is not everything. Knowing how to spell is not everything. It does help if you're a missionary, a pastor, evangelist, or if you're writing tracts. But you know what we were taught in the Bible Institute is writing a tract. You get what I mean? Or how to baptize somebody. We even had practical mechanics. I'd be a pretty good course out there in, in Africa, don't you think? 
Every one of us had to take a semester of practical mechanics. How to change the oil. That'd be a good idea if our single soldiers wanted to pray, we ought to have a class on that in our Bible Institute. By the way, you know what I thought about? A name for our Bible Institute? I don't know if it'll ever be. We may end up with three different names. Holy Bible, Holy Baptist Bible College, or, or we may end up with, but I thought one is not a bad one up there in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Practical Bible College. Practical. You know what? The, the school of Christ was a practical Practical course, he said. Behold the, the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the valley. I mean, how much more practical could you get? Come on out. You fellas follow me today. We're going to have an encounter with the chief priests and the scribes. We're going to really give it to them today. Don't miss it, boys. <laughs> Boy, he's skin them. What do you think about the disciples of John the Baptist before Jesus came? Wasn't he some preacher? Do you realize there were people that followed John the Baptist with the attire that he wore? And the food that he ate? Locust and wild honey? Dressed in camel's hair? What a sight he might have been. And it says all Judea went out to, to see John. <laughs> Whew. And he said, he's a coming, he's a coming, he's a coming. They say the D.L. Moody, in a sense, he, he just put one foot on England in, in Europe, put the other foot on America, and shook the whole world for God. And his English was atrocious. But he started the Moody Bible Institute. And then they started Bayola. Is that right? Bible, yes, Bible Institute of Los Angeles, Biola. Tory took that crowd, I think, over there. That's still going, isn't it? I think somewhat, to some degree, it's still changed name, probably something, I don't know. So they had Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and then they had Biola over there. Tory didn't start that over there. It was all started because of Moody. I'm not saying he wasn't the one who was the, he was the more educated but who do you think hear more about? You know, now Spurgeon was well educated. I heard Spurgeon never got ordained, but boy, God, I sure ordained him. Whoa! Not many wise men God calls or chooses. God calls and chooses who He wants. And the truth of the matter is, there's more people that are not affluent, not wealthy, and not mighty in body or bodily strength, and not noble, not highly educated, there's many more that are not than that are. And God chooses who he pleases. I would serve notice to you that all of the 12, all of the 12 were not highly educated because Luke was not in the 12. Paul came later, he was not in the 12. And so God chose the 12. I think they had to glory in the Lord. They had to forsake all, take up their cross and follow Jesus. Matthew did. Matthew was wealthy now. I think Matthew was pretty wealthy because he invited all, had a great big feast. But he said he rose up and left it all and followed Jesus. 
But Peter, the spokesman of all the twelve, did you realize that the, the three top, the three inner circle were all fishermen? Right? Peter, James, and John. They were the inner circle of the twelve. They perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, but that they'd been with Jesus. Don't tell me God didn't call Peter. God, God, God said, I will. He, he's not the best in eloquence, but boy, he'll just stick with the book because he's not got the mind of Paul. I want to ask you a question. Do you think that, do you honestly think that Peter, that Peter had the genius of Paul? I, I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe a word of it. Hello? I'm not, ta- I'm, talking, I'm not talking about book learning. I'm talking about just plain inborn genius. Paul knew all these languages. He knew all these languages. It started out Barnabas and Saul, and it ended up, you know, it end, Barnabas and Saul and Barnabas. Why? Because he, he was the spokesman. He knew all these languages. They, they didn't say that about Peter. They said it about Paul. Much learning doth make thee mad. I want you to know something about America. America is education crazy. I tell you, our country's education crazy today. And they are not talking about education in the things of God. We should be, as believers, we should be crazy. We should be thought of as crazy about training our boys and girls to learn the Bible in the ways of God and the things of God the truths of God, and memorizing Scripture. Hello? Now, all of those 12 had to memorize the Word of God. I know Judas was a devil. Jesus chose him as well to prove to us that people can fake, fake the fact that they are a believer when they're not even a believer at all. Son of perdition, child of the devil. Don't you tell me that Judas was saved and they lost his salvation. Don't believe a word of that. Sorry. Sorry, I know too many men that know the, know the original languages and they agree with me as well. By the way, these Jehovah's Witnesses, they think they know everything. And just try to find an educated one in their whole crowd. Listen, you don't have to be all that extremely well-learned in the Greek and the Hebrew and everything else, but you better know the men that know it. You better get a hold of those books. And if you have the ability, you ought to learn it. If you have a great mind, you ought to take the Greek and the Hebrew, but make sure it's according to the Textus Receptus, Masoretic Text. I think you ought to, if you have a great mind. By the way, David Edens, who went to, I helped him, his father, do construction work, laying blocks and everything on things while I was going through school. And his father was a deacon at the church, and David had a great mind. David taught himself Russian, I think. This guy was a brain. Then he went over to Sahara Desert, gave his whole life to the, de- the desert people in Africa. You say, what a waste. No, I don't think a waste. Just do what God wants you to do. Great mind. You know what he did, though, after all those years? He got on the radio, and he reached more people in a few, in, in, in six months than he'd reached in six years or 16 years. 
Just keep pounding away and God will show you how to reach the people. Reached them through the radio. Okay, let's go over to Nehemiah. By the way, we need, to, we need to make little of ourselves and thank God that God will use any of us at all. And it says over there that he that glorieth, let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Over here in 1 Corinthians it says, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, in the Lord. And then if you will, go to chapter number uh, 8, verse 17 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, quickly, and we'll just go through these great things, and Lord willing, we'll be through. Follow with me, please. It would do you well because we're going to be here for a few moments at least, a few minutes. I want to show you a few things that are great about God. We need to realize that we are nothing, but He is everything. We need to make much of God. Dr. Seitler said so often, or at least I heard him that one time, and he said we need to emulate the greatness of God to our children. When When our children think about God, they need to think about not somebody who's their buddy. By the way, these songs, as many of these songs, we need to get the these and thous back in our songs. I don't know. But when I, if you read enough scripture, all you read is thee and thou and thine and, and everything. And how great thou art! I'm glad it's not how great you are. I'm still glad it's how great thou art. I think some of these people composing these songs, they just need to read their King James Bible more and they'd use the these and thous and the thines that are in there when they can fit them in easily, just as easily as you or your. God is not our buddy. He's our friend. I think it was Brother Stevens that said there were two. I have to look that up in the scriptures. He said only... Only Abraham and Moses, or maybe he said that to me just talking out there. He said two times in the Bible, two men are called the friend of God. He said Moses and Abraham. I know Abraham is. I don't remember where it is about Moses. I'll try to look it up. But I, you can be God's friend. But he's not your buddy. Hello? Amen? If anything, he's our spouse. Hallelujah. He's our bridegroom, and we're the bride. And the bride, the groom always knows more than the, than the, than the, than the bride. Hallelujah. I'm talking about in regard to running everything. And, amen? Just look up to him. All right, in chapter 7, verse number 17, at the very end it says, And there was very great gladness. Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 17. And then there was great separation. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. It says, And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. They had intermarried with all these foreign wives. And then great reading of the Bible, 9, verse 3. Look at this. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day and another-fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord God their Father. By the way, Chris Beard called me just today or yesterday, I don't know, and I told him, I said, I preached your message. I preached your letter. 
on Sunday night. You know, he wasn't proud about it all. If anything, I think he was thankful. And he was still telling me about those people that got saved up there. The wife, the, the woman and her daughter, and then the husband got saved and the other one. I think he told me that all before I told him I preached his letter. And even when I told him, he didn't say, well, that's what they needed. He didn't say that. He, he had an element of humility in all the, in all the uh, great boldness that we see in Chris Beard. Then I think of this other great revival, great revival, and great assembly, 9 verse 1. Look at what it says in 9.1. It says, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, great fasting. We've been mentioning this more in the last couple months than we've mentioned it probably in all the time that I've been here. Well, while the Lord's teaching me some things, why not teach you some things? Hello? Don't you think we'd do well if we ate a lot less? Independent Baptist pastors are known too much for eating and not enough for fasting. It was quite a rebuke for me. I, I re, you say, you're repetitious, Brother Harvey. It's just the same old letter. Well, I don't know. That worked, praise God, with Chris Beard. Six people reading their Bible more than they'd have read without being challenged by Brother Chris and the pastor included. Since I've been challenged, probably some others might pick up this next week and say, I'd like to do nine or ten chapters a day too. We could all do better, couldn't we? What about fasting? Man, I've been doing it for way over a month now, maybe a couple months, a month or two. Amen? Twice a week. And then I was, you know, I figured it up. If you fast two whole full days, if you fast two whole full days, like the Jews did, I don't know if they fasted the whole day or part of the day. I don't know. I just decided I'm going to try to fast on Monday and Thursday, which they said in the, in the commentaries, more than one, that they fasted on Monday, the second day, Sunday's the first day of the week, and on Thursday. Well, I figured it up. If you miss breakfast almost all the time, along with those two days, you're fasting half, half of the whole week if you're talking about three meals a day. And then if you don't eat breakfast, like I, I've, I've hardly ever eaten breakfast before I preach on Sunday morning. I never have a big breakfast on Sunday. I, I've never. I don't eat breakfast on Sunday. I'll maybe have a cup of coffee. That's it. I don't eat breakfast on Sunday. I've got to be ready with the Word of God. For I've got to get my heart ready, whether my message is down pat and so perfect and everything, that I've got to have my heart right. I can't be spending all my time filling my face full of food when I've got to be filling my heart with the Word of God. So if you give your time in the morning and not eat until lunchtime, there's another one. And you're, you're fasting about half of, half of your the whole time. I figured it up. With my Sunday. That'd be a good idea, amen. We eat too much in America. We're eating ourselves to death. Brother Renee told us that. Steve Renee. Everything's supersized. He said, I don't even know how they drink these drinks this big. How do they even drink that stuff? You'd think they're trying to flush their kidneys out or something. I've had that desire. 
after I had two kidney stone attacks. And I told my daughter, Linda, I said, Linda, I want you to drink every bit of that water I got you. Then at, when I went home, I, I got her a drink out of the... Why? You want to go around with, having kidney stones? Ooh. She said, they're starting up again. I said, well, are you drinking water? Anyhow. But see, we just, we just overboard it. We're just eating ourselves, you know. Some of you servicemen, single soldiers, eat like you have two hollow legs instead of one. And I mean, if you're going out and working hard and everything, you know, you're really working, that's... You know, you're going to have an appetite. We better have a bigger appetite for the word of God and going out soul winning and prayer and the things of God than we do for food. When David's baby was sick, David fasted. When he heard that the baby was dead, he said, let's, let's sit on food. They said, what is going on with this fellow? He hit it, he hit it right, didn't he? He did. He said, I thought God might be merciful. But he took the baby. Now, I cannot go to him, but he shall. He cannot come to me, but I can go to him. Great fasting. Great repentance, verse 2. And the seed of Israel separated themselves. Look at what it says in verse 2, as we read there. Separated from all the strangers and stood and confessed their sin... Sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Great repentance is needed today in America. Great repentance in our church. Great repentance in Pastor Harvey's life and heart. Great repentance in my family. We need to repent. For we are not perfect. We're being perfected, but we are not perfect yet. Great worship in verse 3. It says in the last part, and another, the fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. We need great worship of God. This self-emulization is terrible. Self-esteem. Up there in New York. I'm from New York. Don't tell me about education. I said, don't tell me about education. I say it the third time. Don't you tell me about education. That's all I knew when I grew up in New York. Go to Hutch Tech High School. I had to take an entrance exam to get into, even get into the high school I went to. Don't even know how I made it. I know how my brother did because they were the, tech, they were the technicians. The Tectonians. These were the engineers. And I'm telling you, God's looking for a heart that's on fire for him. He's looking for the man after God's own heart. He's not looking for, Je for David's brothers. He's looking for David. He's looking for the man after God's own heart that will obey his commands. Go take Goliath out of commission. He's looking for the man who'll say, Is there not a cause? And then take his sling and the stone's up and do business with God. And take him down. Amen? Not a bunch of talk, but a man after God's own heart. Isn't David the only one in the whole Bible that says that of? That I know of? Man after God's own heart. We need to learn to worship. Great worship. And then, 
Verse 4, great prayer. Look what it says here. It says, all these different ones, they stood upon the stairs and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Emotional prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I was in just the last week. We ought to be learning more about prayer. I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer. I was in the Methodist Church so long. When I got to Bob Jones University, I didn't even want to say. They used to say the Lord's Prayer all the time. They used to be Methodist, you know, the old man. And I didn't like that. I wouldn't say it. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I was just a new guy. You know what I mean? Just a new, new young student. But I said prayers long enough. Now I lay me down to sleep. You know, I said enough prayers. Over the food, my parents prayed, but it was always a canned prayer. And I had heard that in the Methodist church, the Lord's Prayer. They said it all the time, and when they said it at the university, I would not say it. Then I found out it's right in the Bible. So the last week, I've been thinking about that. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Majestic, marvelous. For the artist series, I wouldn't clap for those heathens either. And I still won't. I clap for character. I don't clap for ability. You say, we are a fanatic. Just leave me alone. What, do we have to clap for a bunch of heathens up there playing the guitar or singing their operas or this other stuff. I don't have any, I, I just, I wouldn't clap and I just said, I'm, I'm just me and I'll be like I am. And you know what? I'm still like that. Don't you try to change me. If I think it's wrong, don't you try to show me it's right. Amen? Let the Lord show me. Hello? The Lord's Prayer. I learned a lot of good things down there. Don't I think I learned all the bad stuff. I learned some things there. I was so mixed up. I thought you ought to speak in tongues, raise the dead, heal the sick immediately, cast out demons right then. Boy, they helped me out a lot. Because why? They believed the Bible. By the way, they had holiness. They didn't allow, and I still don't believe they allow unqualified people in their pulpit there at the university. I don't think they allow any of them. They try not to have any new evangelicals in their pulpit. Still. Hello? Any of them. They don't allow any divorces that I know of in their pulpit. Amen? Lest you think I say all bad about my alma mater. I even went down there when I was down there the last time and I, I gave them my $12, $20 payment and now I'm a life member. But next week, I might write something about them, and then they, boy, they, they'll get rid of you in a minute. You get on their blacklist, and you, Brother Walton's smiling. You already know what I'm talking about, don't you? You went there a little while. Did you go there? Oh, that's what it was. His three sisters did. Boy, you don't want to get on their blacklist. Oh, one, guy, one well-known preacher, he, he got on their blacklist. He, he said something or something, and you know what? He said they, they took his, uh, and he was a lifetime member, and he said, I want my money back. You know, you think you get it back from them? Absolutely not. He was upset about it. But I'm telling you, do you, did you ever thank the Lord for all you learned? Days gone by from different places. Pastor Eber, his church was not perfect. But boy, he taught me about soul winning. 
Talk to me about soul winning. Why? They had those prayer meetings. I went down to Sam Yellen's camp meeting one time. I never saw so much praying in all my life. That was good for me. That was good for me. And then I heard him preach a couple times, and I never I felt pretty badly for the sinners on the front row. Whoa! Was he tough? He was just like Jack Green, Oliver B. Green's brother. I never heard such whoo preaching in my life. I'm sure those people didn't take the front row seat anymore for the rest of the week with Jack Green or others. By the way, a great name. Great prayer, and then a great name. 9-5. Look at verse 5. It says here, And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Isn't that something? Above all blessing and praise, this great name. He's got a great name. Our God is great, and His name is great. We're not great, but if we have any greatness at all, because the great one lives within us. The Holy One. The Spirit of Christ. And then great worship again, 9-6. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. I thought, that's a, that's a, isn't that some kind of a strange thought? And the host of heaven, when I went over that, in my personal devotions, I said, just wrote these down when I was in my devotions. The host of heaven worshipeth thee. Does that mean that the sun worships Christ and the moon? The host of heaven? I don't know, everything. It says that the very creation groans in travail, waiting to adoption, for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. He said, Jesus said, if, if you don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. <laughs> even that donkey cried out the word of God, didn't he? To Balaam. <laughs> Amen. Seems like all creation obeys God, but we humans... And then, great kindness, verse 17. Look at verse 17. Aren't you glad that our God's a God of great kindness? Slow to anger. Verse in the middle of that, 17th verse, But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Aren't you glad that God is filled with kindness? What about that? Do people know you as a kind person? Are you kind? You know, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind, teenager. Teenager, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind. Just, just maybe not thinking so much of yourself. You don't, have to, you don't have to be wealthy and you can be kind. You don't have to have great education and you can be kind. You don't have to get an A on any te- every test and you can still be kind. God is great. He has great kindness. Do you know the people that God uses the greatest in our church are just people that know how to be kind to other people. They know how to talk to other people. They're just nice. They know how to smile and be nice to people. Just learn to be nice to people. Hello? By the way, we're so overly anxious 
to be right. And it's good to be right, but the greatest of these is love, charity. What? What does it say over there? That was part of my message, too. What does it say? Have all knowledge. Isn't that what it says? Have all knowledge and have all faith. You have enough faith to remove mountains. And you give all your goods to feed the poor. You even give your body to be burned and you don't have charity. It profiteth you nothing and it's nothing. Nothing. When they think of you, when they think of you, could they change your name and and name you Charity? Could they name you Charity? Or they'd say, boy, that's sure not that fella. I'm talking about charity for you guys, too. (laughs) Hello, not just the girls. Can they call you Faith? Could they call you Hope? Or or would they call you Mr. or Mrs. Despair? (laughs) Huh? I'm Mr. Discouraged. I'm going to help a lot of people out of their doldrums down in the gully. Someone said a rut is... um, or a ditch or whatever it is, is a rut with both ends kicked out or something. I don't know. Some people are in the middle of the rut all the time. They get up and praise God. God hasn't died. He saved you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. The children of Israel, you know, that was one of the greatest things that was so bad about the children of Israel. They were redeemed with great, 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 great signs out of Egypt's bondage. Pharaoh drowned in the water, and all they did is murmur and gripe and complain, and they were on their way to heaven. They were redeemed. They were brought out of bondage, of a terrible, rigorous bondage, and they were set free to serve and walk with God. And all they did is murmur and complain, and you know what God did? What did God do for them for their murmuring and chiding and complaining, Brother John Walton? What did he do for them? What did he do? He killed them. He killed them. He was the living water and they griped because they didn't have water. He was the bread of life and they griped because they didn't have bread. Griping, murmuring, chiding, complaining. When they should have said, they should have always been waking up. And every day they should have woke up and said, one day we were in Egypt's bondage and wasn't it rough back then? Instead, they said, all we have is this manna every day. It comes right from heaven, right from God. It wasn't, it wasn't out there on the Sabbath day. Every week it was a proof of the miraculous provision of an almighty God. And they griped and complained even about the manna. Yes or no? Absolutely. They should have. That's why the Lord said he initiated the Passover. And you know what? We have our Passover lamb now, don't we? That's why we have the communion here. Did you know why we have communion once a month? Oh, earlier in my ministry, we didn't have it that often. I think that was wrong. I didn't know any better. I don't, know, I don't even think we covered that hardly at all uh, during my schooling. We should have covered that. Even though it was very practical, I don't think we covered that very much. How often you ought to have it, so forth. And I'll tell you, we have it once a month. You know what you do? You know why we should have communion, I think, at least once a month, is we're to remember his broken body and his shed blood. And what does that bring us to? Salvation. We're saved by the blood. Amen? 
He gave his body. He gave his blood. What for? To save us. To save us. So as we look at the communion, and we, and we don't need to have family conferences all the time. We need to have time to think about his broken body and his blood and the cross. The cross where his body hung and where his blood was shed. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. No, but you go over here. You know what? We, they were to remember the Passover, and we're to remember Jesus, the, our Passover lamb. We get too far from the cross, too far from the blood, too far from his saving us, and we're in trouble. Every day. You and I need to thank God we're not still in our sins. And when you think of his greatness, you know what else I learned from some other people in the last year? Listen, you should be learning, learning new spiritual things. It was Brother Snodderly. You know what? I I had to, you know, once in a while we pinpoint people. We don't mean to, I want to learn from other people. I want to learn from other people. We can learn from other people. And so I, I put him on the spot. I said, what about your personal devotions, Brother Snodderly? And he, he almost felt embarrassed because that was his precious time with God. But he told us, and it helped me. He said, first of all, I confess my sins. And I say, Lord, help me to be true to my wife. Help me to keep my eyes off other women. Help me to uh, keep my heart in the Bible. Help me, Lord, forgive me if I've done anything. Forgive me. First thing he did is confess his sins. And you know what I'm doing in my my prayer time when I wake up in the morning now? I'm doing what Brother Snodderly did. I think that's a good practice. But I've not been doing that for five years. Just the last couple years. And I still, I'm not in the habit of it enough that I do it automatically. Any more than thinking the Lord's Prayer, if not going through it and talking to God about it. It is the model prayer. I knew that. I'd learned that. Oh, then great provocation. Verse 9, verse 18, and verse 26. Oh, don't we greatly provoke God. Great provocation because of our sin, because of idol. God hates idols. Listen, I have every right to be upset with the Roman Catholic system because it's an idolatrous system. Don't tell me it's not. Don't tell me they don't pray to those statues. I don't believe a word of that. You come up to Buffalo, down to Father Baker's as you walk in, drive in there to Lackawanna in South Buffalo, and you look up and see Father Baker's great in the eyes of the world, and I've gone into that great basilica, and they have altars behind the altars. It's the most idolatrous mess you've ever seen, and right across the street is Our Lady of Victory Hospital that goes way up a dozen or two stories. Everything there is dedicated to worship and venerating the Virgin Mary. And my whole life is venerating Jesus Christ and exalting none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, my God and my Savior. And I say Ichabod on the whole mess. And the Protestants years ago had it right. They called it the devil's workshop was the Catholic orphanage there. I met a fellow who was trained up in that orphanage got saved later, Brother Dooley. Great multiplying of children of God, 923. 
Their children also multipliest thou. God multiplies our children. God gives us children. Not doctors, not hospitals. God gives us children. Great goodness of God, 925. We're almost through now. Hang in there. See that last? Delightest themselves in thy great goodness. God is so great and so good. His great goodness. His great mercies, 927. 927. Look what it says here. And according, in the middle of the verse, and according to thy manifold mercies, great mercies, Great Deliverance, 928. It says in the last part of the verse, And many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies. His great mercies. And here it talks about great God, verse 32. Look at this now. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, And the terrible God that keepeth covenants and mercy. Oh, he's the great God. He's a great God. He is the great God. And then 935, just two more, 935. It tells us here his great goodness. It says here, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them. God is great in his goodness. He's so good to us. And then great distress, 937. Great distress. Why? Because of our sins, it tells us in that same verse. It says here, over and over our cattle at thy pleasure. And we are in great distress. Oh, when sin comes in. But I'm so glad great, God's great. Isn't God greater than our sin? Isn't God greater than our Even all that we could think or ask, he's so great. Great in mercy, great in kindness. Father, help us, we pray. We are nothing, but thou art everything. Please help us to humble ourselves, lest we have to be humbled by thee. Please help me. It says, when we think we stand, take heed, lest we fall. May we just praise thee and thank thee for all that have helped us along the way. So many have helped us, Lord. So many Christian believers Godly pastors, godly teachers, godly churches, godly uh, Sunday school teachers, godly uh, deacons, and godly uh, Christians. All the way along, Lord. Even so many regular members, Lord, helped us out. So many ways. Those that are right with thee, help us, we pray.